want to read to you from God's Word from the book of Ephesians. We find ourselves in our second last week in this incredible book. And it's my great joy to read to you this passage this morning. Last week we got up to verse 21. And the English Bible, the NIV that I have in front of me, has a heading after that called Wives and Husbands. Um, The heading, while it's accurate, um, removes perhaps an obvious truth that verses 22 all the way down to 6 verse 9, chapter 6 verse 9, flow out of or are the application of verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives are to do that. Husbands are to do that. Children, fathers, slaves and masters. It's the outworking, the implications of what it means for mutual submission. Which in turn is the fourth implication of to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. So the thought that the Holy Spirit has inspired through the Apostle Paul is that We are to be filled with the Spirit, to be under control of God's Spirit in our lives. And that will issue forth into speaking to one another, singing and making music in your heart, giving thanks to God, and submitting to one another. And then flowing out of submitting are all these new relationships that we have in Jesus. That's how the passage hangs together. So let's read God's Word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives... Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let me just repeat that verse. Wives, wife, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is, are you listening? The husband is the head of the wife. I'll stop picking on Rhonda, she'll smack me. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I think we've read enough, haven't we? Stop there. There's more than enough there to talk about. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. And we are members of his body. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two become one on flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you, each husband, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long Enjoy long life on the earth. Dads, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would Christ. Obey Christ. 
Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. And finally, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Children sometimes have amazing insights. When asked the question, how does a person decide who to marry? Ten-year-old Alan said, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, then she should like it that you like sports, and so she should keep the chips and the dip coming. (laughs) Kirsten, who is age 10, says, no one really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides that all beforehand, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes. When Anita, aged nine, was asked, is it better to be single or married? Anita says, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. (laughs) And everybody said, amen. We know that's true. And she's only nine. Kenny, who is aged seven, says, better to be single or married. It gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) When asked the question, uh, why does love happen between people? Jan, age nine, says, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it's got something to do with how you smell. (laughs) That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Harlem says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. (laughs) Wrong. When is it okay to kiss someone? (laughs) Pam, age seven, when they're rich. (laughs) Um, Kurt says, the law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't mess with that. (laughs) No kissing. Jean, who is age 10, now listen to what she says, at 10. She says, it's never okay to kiss a boy. They always slobber all over you. That's why I stopped doing it. (laughs) At 10. (laughs) And how do you make a marriage work? Young Ricky, age 7, says, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. You guys listening? Or Bobby says, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you forget to take out the trash. And finally, how would the world be different if people didn't get married, was the question. Kevin, aged eight, says, there sure would be a lot of kids to explain, wouldn't there? Yeah. Out of the mouths of babes, children often speaking truth. This passage needs some comic relief, doesn't it? Because it's quite demanding. There are six talks really here, and I'm going to do one talk in the time allocated this morning. 
the six talks would go like this. Number one, we need to submit to one another as followers of the Lord Jesus. It's a congregation, it's a church talk, it's our relationships to one another. We need to submit to one another. We'll talk about that quickly. Number two, to the wife, he's in charge, you need to submit to him. That's the second talk. I'm not going to do that one this morning. Number three, the husband. You are to follow my lead because I am the husband. I am responsible and accountable. We will do that one. Number four, parents. Do as we say, we're the parents, or else. <laughs> Number five, to the masters. Jesus says, you're in charge, so do it well. And to slaves, Jesus also says that you are to serve from the heart, and he is watching. So have the attitude of how may I serve you. Submitting to one another. Wives submitting to husbands. Husbands loving wives. Um, parents, children submitting to parents. Fathers raising their children, particularly fathers, not only, but particularly fathers and not exasperating their children. Slaves submitting to masters. Masters leading in a fair and godly way those who are serving them, employed by them. It's about relationships. And in our culture, there is a, certainly a lot of flick, friction and heat generated around these concepts. I think I told you a few weeks ago that I had a, uh, a non-Christian couple come to my office years ago, and not following the Lord Jesus, and we spoke about this passage, you know, what Bible reading are we going to have, and we turned to this one and read this, and to which she particularly, but both of them together, basically said, you're kidding, aren't you? And submitting to one another, that's... You've got to be joking. It's, you know, for the dinosaurs. So the world certainly struggles or rejects this. And because we live in this fallen world, even our own sinful nature rejects to the whole idea of submitting. But as I said, this is the application of the truth that if we are filled with the Spirit, then under His control, then we will have these changes in us. We will have a growing sense of submitting to those whom God has placed in authority over us. And God has placed at least seven, probably more, areas of submission. There are seven, I've got a list of seven, seven areas where we are to be submitting. Number one, of course, is to him. He is sovereign Lord of all. We are to submit to his lordship, to his leadership. That's us and in the angels and the demons. They all submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus. Number two, we are to submit to the government leaders. That would include the police, the courts, and obeying the laws of our land. We're all required to submit to that. Number three, the Bible teaches that followers of the Lord Jesus are to submit to church leaders. And that leaders are likewise to lead in loving, serving ways. But we are to submit to church leaders, to have an attitude of submission. I'm the senior pastor of the church, you all have to submit to me. No, that's not what it means. I'm the senior pastor of the church, and that means there is an element of submission from your point, but my, from my perspective and leadership perspective, I'm here to serve you, along with the pastoral team and all the pastors in our church. Wives are to submit to husbands is number four. Children are to submit to parents, number five. Number six, workers are to submit to employees, slaves to masters. And number seven, verse 21, we are to submit to one another. The supreme example of submission is, of course, the Lord Jesus, who, endowed with all authority, gave it up and came into our world and modelled for us how we are to live. The Apostle Paul, talking about that and preparing for a great statement about 
the Lord Jesus' submission, says this, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish or empty, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's our, to be our attitude to one another. And the motive for that, of course, is our obedience to the Lord Jesus. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a submissive person? If you're filled with the Spirit, then you will be. It'll be the outworking of the Spirit's control of your life. Are you a submissive person? Do you and are you submitting to the Lord Jesus in every area of your life? If not, that's something for you to work on, something for you to acknowledge and come to the point of, and perhaps even today, to bow the knee to him. Are you submitting to the government? Are you obeying the laws of the land? Are you submitting to the leadership of the church? And in our church, that also means for us that we as members submit to the members' meeting, that what the members decide is what we submit to. As a wife, are you submitting to your husband's children? Are you obeying your parents? What about at work? Are you submitting to the boss, to the one that you are accountable to and report, reporting to? having an attitude of submission. Are you a submissive person? Now, some people, of course, object to this. They just want to throw it out. They come up with excuses and different ideas and interpretations. There's no getting around it. Excuse me. Some people try to get around it by saying, it won't work. If we're going to submit to one another, then we'll never get anything done. You know, you come to the doorway, and how do you get through the doorway if you're both submitting to each other? After you, no, after you, after you, no, after you. No, that's not how it would work. A submissive attitude to one another would be that you both come to the doorway and one of you will say, after you. The other person would say, well, of course, I submit to your direction and link. Thank you. You submit to one another. You have an attitude of wanting to be helpful. Some people try to object to mutual submission by simply saying it'll make us doormats but it doesn't mean that you are weak and it doesn't mean that you will be a doormat. Well, then what does it mean? It means to adopt a lifestyle and an attitude of being a servant, being other-centred, not self-centred or self-focused. The Lord Jesus in John 13 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have, ga I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. If you're placed in a position of leadership, whether it's pastoral team or it's ministry leader or director or whatever, if you're in a position of leadership, you're the husband of the house, you're the leader, that means you are charged with the responsibility to lead and serve. That's what it means. Mutual submission will mean we'll have an attitude of not kicking against things. A submissive person is not fighting for their rights. They're not demanding equal treatment, but rather they have an attitude where they are trusting God and being obedient to him. And you're probably all racing ahead in your minds and thinking about, gee, how is that going to work out in this particular sort of situation? Ultimately, being a submissive person means that you're going to be one who is growing in the likeness of the Lord Jesus. You'll become increasingly godly. A submissive person is not cantankerous. It's a good word, isn't it? Not assertive, not pushy, not self-willed, not difficult to get along with. A person under the control of the Spirit will manifest the fruit 
of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So this puts certainly a check on authoritarian, self-serving, insensitive leadership in the church, in the home, at work. So we do have a responsibility, verse 21, to submit to one another out of our relationship to the Lord Jesus, out of reverence and respect for him. I'm doing this, Lord Jesus, because this is what you want in my life. And that, of course, then has its application working out in the home. And the Apostle Paul comes firstly to the wife and gives very clear instructions that the wife is to submit to her husband. That's Jesus' will for her. That's what the Lord wants for you if you're the wife. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And he goes on to say at the end in verse 24, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It's all encompassing. That's what he wants for you. Because that's how it's demonstrated in the Trinity. That's what the Lord Jesus demonstrated when he came into the world. He submitted to the Father. It doesn't make him unequal. doesn't make him inferior to. He's still equal to, still the same as, but he chose to submit to that plan. That's what the wife is to do as they work out their relationship together. And so obviously, if you're going to do that, you will need to be firstly in submission to the Lord Jesus. That's number one. And then flowing out of the fact is you recognising that your husband has been given that role, that function, that responsibility. You can't make him head. He is the head. He's not commanded to be the head. He is declared to be the head. That's not something that he must go around asserting and informing on the head. You must submit to me. No. Your responsibility is to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus says to you that you have an attitude which willingly, wholeheartedly, respects, yields, submits to the loving leadership of your husband. What if he's an idiot? Submit. Speak up. Submission doesn't mean silence. Submission doesn't mean disagreement. But submission means not the assertion of my will. I'm submitting to somebody else. Submission includes, as I've already said in verse 33, to respect comes out of an attitude of heart. That's where it flows from. It's a desire to please the other, to respond to his leadership. What isn't it? Well, submission is not simply an outward thing when secretly you are seeking to undermine his leadership or his direction. It's not manipulating him. Submission doesn't mean that you are inferior to him. You are absolutely not. You are equal to one another. Submission is not also to be expressed in terms of just simple passivity. Oh, well, I'm not responsible for anything. It's up to him. He has to decide everything. Um, If I have milk or sugar in my tea, then he decides. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make you inferior. It doesn't mean that you are without responsibilities or accountability. But one of your functions as a wife in the relationship is that you are to submit. It also means this, and this is more for the husbands, I guess, but if you're a wife and you're submitting to your husband, it also means you do not bury your spiritual gifts. And nor, as I read the New Testament, does it mean that you, as a woman, cannot be a leader in the church. Can a woman be an elder? Of course she can. If her husband is happy about that, willing for that to happen, 
If the husband doesn't want his wife to exercise leadership in the church, then she should submit to that. But he has to give an account for that. He's responsible to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord will ask him, how come you didn't let your wife lead? How come you didn't let your wife serve and use her gifts? And he will be responsible. And then, as I think I've already indicated, and it's all-encompassing. In verse 24, he says, in everything. I'll submit to my husband if... No, it doesn't say if. It says submit. So I've said enough for the women, I think, haven't I? Time to move on. I think the girls get it easier than the guys. Because we all have to submit, verse 21, to one another. Ladies, you just have to do that also at home. But fellas, the responsibility that the passage flows out of, of what you have been given to do, is... It can be overwhelming is a huge task. Husbands, not lead your wives, not be head of your wives, it's husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. If I were to ask the husbands this morning, what is your primary responsibility as a husband? Many of you would probably say to be the head of the home. Wrong. Your primary responsibility as a husband is to love your wife. I had a young guy come to me once and he said, I think I'm sinning, I think I'm, you know, I think my, I'm making my wife like an idol, I'm loving her too much. Really? Do you love her like the Lord Jesus? Are you prepared to lay down your life for her? Oh no, not that much. Well, step it up, buddy, you got to. That's what the command is. You rule, which means you decide how to please her, how to develop her, that's your responsibility. And I think the balance is that the primary way that the husband exercises his headship is through self-sacrificial love. Denying himself, not asserting himself. Denying himself and elevating her. A few years ago, there was a Russian newspaper. They did a survey of about 100 Russian households. The result of that survey, they found that 90 of the homes... The wife described herself as the head of the family and the husband agreed. 90. In nine of the families, the husband said he was the head of the home and the wife disagreed. There was only one husband out of the 100 whose wife named him as head of the home and to which he agreed. And the, so the newspaper gave him an award. When asked to select his prize, he turned to his wife and he says, what shall I choose, Maria? It is significant that the Bible never says, husbands, get your wives to submit to you. It doesn't say that. Your responsibility as a husband is to love. Her responsibility is to submit. That's the deal. Not exchanging roles or issuing each other's commands. It's not your responsibility. It's not, you are not commanded to be the head. You are simply stated that you are the head if you can understand the importance of that distinction. I'm going to have to speed up. Headship implies for the husband accountability and responsibility. You take the lead. And that means particularly husbands in church context, in family, at home. You take the lead. Pastor your, church, your family, 
lead them spiritually. Read the Bible. You initiate it. Pray. Pray with them and pray for them. You model serving in the church and attending church together and life groups and you train the children. You take the lead. That's what it means. You don't do it all by yourself. You can't. That's why you have a wife, someone who is a, a companion for the journey and the tasks of life. To Headship means to seek the well-being of the other, of the wife or of the family, to protect and to nurture. It's to provide loving leadership. Headship is not dictatorship, it's not authoritarian, and it's not ego-driven. Let me give you a picture. The, the husband and the wife, as in this mysterious passage down in verse 33, Paul says, this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. And you go, what? How's husband and wife a picture of Jesus and the church like this? When the husband treats the wife, these are negative examples. When the husband treats the wife poorly, then he is advertising to the community that that's how Jesus treats the church. The husband is to treat his wife as Jesus treated the church. If a husband is a dictator, then he is inappropriately showing the world that Jesus, the gentle, loving Lord Jesus, is a cruel tyrant. Husbands, you represent the Lord Jesus in your home and in the community. If a husband abdicates his leadership and lets the wife lead, then he's telling others that Jesus is not the loving shepherd of the church and that the church is free to do its own thing. And finally, if the husband deserts the wife, whether through unfaithfulness or through indifference or through being overly committed to work or overly committed to his hobbies, if there is a desertion of the wife, then there is an indication. You're communicating a terrible falsehood that the Lord Jesus abandons or neglects his church. That's why the responsibility is a burden, fellas. It's awesome. It's a huge task that you have to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's commanded. So it's not the romantic, emotional love like we spoke about last week. It's not that. But that should be part of your relationship, obviously. If that's missing, it can be restored. Your love for her is to be costly, self-sacrificial. It's to be considerate of her needs. It's to be a resolution of the will. It's a commitment, not a feeling. And it's consecrating. It has good intentions and a good purpose in it. Time is gone, but let me say in closing, our theme for this year is connecting. Connecting with God through particularly corporate prayer. We're going to talk more about that later. Um, connecting with one another in life groups, and that's this, submitting to one another. But it's also connecting with others outside of the kingdom, those who are disconnected from God, us connecting with them in order to introduce them to the Lord Jesus. And that's where this passage goes when it talks about slaves and masters. I'm jumping over the parenting and children's one. That by being a godly follower of the Lord Jesus, whether you are the employee, the slave, or whether you are the employer, the master, that's how it would have application to our world, then it's by your attitude to both work and to the boss, which will be salt and light, which will be a witness. Your relationship with the Lord Jesus, because you name him as your Lord, you ought to be the best employee or the best employer that you are capable of being. You should be, if you're an employee, you should be obedient, you should be conscientious, you should be sincere, you should be genuine, you should work hard, hard 
You're an example. You're a model. You name the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you're an employer, then you should model what it's like to be a Christian follower of the Lord Jesus with those responsibilities similarly. So, brothers and sisters, this passage invites us, in fact, directs us, commands us, verse 21, to submit, to have an attitude of submission out of reverence for the Lord Jesus. It has implications in our marriages, in our families, and in our workplaces. I think the, the applications are all there and all the way through. The question becomes, is that true for me? Is there something for me to work on? Let's pray together. We won't sing, I don't think, a final song. We'll just pray. Let's pray.